we're in Numbers chapter 18 tonight. Verse 1, God's holy word. So the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons, your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. You and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of testimony. They shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary or the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligation of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligation of the sanctuary, the obligations of the altar, so that there will no longer be wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform, to perform this service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood and everything concerning the altar and inside the veil. You are to perform the service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord said to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion, and your sons as a perpetual allotment. This shall be for yours, for the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, even every grain offering, every sin offering, every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you and for your sons. As for the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the offering of the gift, even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you, your sons, your daughters, with you as a perpetual allotment. Everyone in your household who is clean may eat it. All of the best of the fresh oil and the best of the fresh wine, the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I will give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in the land which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Every first issue of the womb of all its flesh, whether man or animal, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. As to the redemption price from a month old, you shall redeem them. By your valuation, five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of an ox, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, shall offer up their fat and smoke as an offering by fire for a smoothing aroma to the Lord. Their meat shall be yours. It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like a right thigh. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you, your sons, your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for inheritance in return for their service, which they perform the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they shall bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service in the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. 
For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe, which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. You shall be, your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor, or the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes, which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron, the priest. Out of all your gifts you shall present every offering due to the Lord from the best of them, the sacred part of them. You shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of them, the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the product of the threshing floor, as the product of the wine vat. You may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. You will bear no sin by reason of it when you have offered the best of it, but you shall not profane the sacred gifts of the sons of Israel, or you will die. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. We thank you for the tender mercy you have upon us in Christ Jesus. We ask, Almighty God, that you would fill me and fill all of us with your Holy Spirit, that I would rightly divine this, divide this word, and we would see you, Jesus Christ, our sympathetic high priest, you who have made us to be a kingdom, a nation of priests, that we would offer up um, our offerings of thanksgivings uh, to you in the name uh, above all names, Christ. What have I named the, um, the title of the sermon is, I think, Laws for the Priesthood. So back in um, Numbers chapter 16 and chapter 17, God tells, shows Israel in no uncertain terms that out of all of the tribes of Israel, he's only chosen the Levites and only of the family of Aaron uh, to be his priests and his high priests. In my sermon, I'm going to use the phrase... Levitical priests versus Aaronical priests. The Levitical priests are Levites, obviously, but they're not from the family of Aaron. There's a number of subfamilies within the tribe of Levi. And these Levitical priests are the, the priestly helpers. They are the helpers to the priests, and the, um, uh, who, and the priests are the Aaronical priests, and they serve within the holy place and the holy of holies and so on. So that's the distinction. Levitical priests, priestly helpers, versus the Aaronical priests, what we would consider to be uh, the priest that makes the intercession and the offerings and those kind of uh, things. Now, in the first section, this particular chapter breaks out, I think, maybe four or five sections I've broken it out. I'm, I'm not going to preach all four or five, but I just want to give us a general overview of what's going on in chapter uh, 18. In the previous chapters, God has been busy showing us it's going to be Aaron. God chooses Aaron and the sons of Aaron to be his priests, and only the sons of Aaron. Again, this is typological. If you've read the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 5 through 10, those typological priests were pointing forward to the antitype, a priest Christ. And so what we're going to glean from these priests will be fulfilled in in Jesus Christ. But God says, I'm choosing these priests, these men only to be my priest. Now, when we come to chapter 18, what we've done is we've moved from who God 
picks or chooses to what he's called them to. So this moves from the who to the what. What these men have been called or set apart or chosen to do. And the first section, obviously, is the work that God has for Aaron and his sons to perform. And so the way that I would put it when we consider these priests is they have been chosen, um, they have been chosen unto work, uh, to work. And so God here extrapolates or details the various duties and work that he has tasked them to do. And so when we think of God saying, here are the people I've picked, chosen to be my priests, here is the work that I'm putting into their hands. When we say that they're chosen to work, priests, and then we could apply it to all of us, I would say more basically like this, um, they're chosen uh, to obey. And they're to live, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, we are to live on every single word that comes from the mouth of our God. And specifically, this is in reference to the priests, but we could make it application to all of God's people. God has chosen us in Christ Jesus, but he's not chosen us to a life of sloth, nor has he chosen us to a life of anarchy, which is self-rule. And so when God says, I've picked you, and here's the work that I've called you to do, we're image bearers of God. God is an active God. We have likewise been made in his image. We are are active creatures. We are to subdue the earth for the glory of God. So we have been called not to sloth, not even to recreation, not to self-rule, but to God rule. And so uh, I would say, what, what, what is that um, book, maybe written in the 70s, Amusing Ourselves to Death, written by a Jewish fellow, I think, um, or Recreating Ourselves to Death, or something like that. We, we live in that kind of a culture. We live in a, a we, we, we expend ourselves in perpetual rounds of recreation, thinking that by recreating constantly, we'll finally get the peace that we need because we're an exceedingly anxious uh, generation. And the peace never comes. Um, Our satisfaction is only found in God, and our satisfaction is only found in obedience to God. So if God says, I've chosen you to work, we're never going to find satisfaction when we we say, well, Lord God, I'm not going to work. I'm going to recreate. We've been chosen to obey God. And if we say to God, well, I'm not going to go that way. I, I, I will follow myself, and that's where I'll find my peace. You're never going to find your peace. Our peace, our contentment, our joy is bound up in God. This is St. Augustine. He's bound up in God. He's the one. And it's in, it's in obedience to him. I'm not teaching justification by, uh, by uh, works, but we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have been saved unto obedience. So these priests have been saved, set apart by God's grace, but they have been called to work. Read sometime Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through maybe 8 or 9, we have been chosen by God in Christ, and then 8 and 9 in the book of Ephesians says, and God has even set apart the work that he set us to to do. So both, chosen and then chosen to um, work. So we, we have not been created to recreate, we have been created to work. The first work that God gave to his people was to tend the garden, and then subsequent, even the fall, we have been sent out to subdue the earth for the glory of God and to dedicate it back to God as a, as a thank offering. How we're to do that when we think, well, we're just little bitty people, um, 
the priests were to uh, perform their work as part of their obligation to God, to his glory, and then whatever God puts in your hand, whether you're a bricklayer or a truck driver or, or what have you, we are to do everything that we can do as unto the Lord. Because God has called us, and particularly as recreated in Jesus Christ, we are doubly obligated to be active in work for the glory of God. So uh, these particular men are called to do priestly work. I would call them the Old Testament clergy. I don't like myself. This is just a scruple from my Roman Catholic days. I, I tend not to like the clergy-laity distinction in the New Testament epoch. But there is somewhat of a distinction. God does have office bearers in his church. And so he has deacons and elders and and ministers and so on. So there is a distinction. So these men are called to work, but they're called to be ecclesiastics in particular. So they have a particular calling from God. And so these are the Old Testament clergy. They're to be utterly devoted to God in their ministry. And you remember back in the early chapters of uh, chapter 1 through 4, God said all of the non-Levites, they're to be warriors, the young men, 20 to 60, I think, was the age range. They're to be warriors. But the Levites are called out, and the ironical Levites are called out. And so there is this kind of a, a specialized work given to them. Not everyone in the body of Christ has the same calling. And this is a 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and a Romans chapter 12. Christ is the head. And God has distributed gifts and calling and places, stations within the body by which we serve him. And these men serve God just like a a military man served God by exercising their uh, military office. These men are ecclesiastics. They serve God in their intercession, their sacrifice, their mediation, all of those kind of things. In its work, Uh, every once in a while, we like to... I don't know why we do this. We look and say, well, that's work. This is not work. Um, uh, driving a truck is work. Swinging a hammer is work. But being a minister is not work. And there's always a joke when they say, why did you become a minister? And say, because my mama liked, wanted me to be a minister and I like fried chicken and I like playing golf or some nonsense like that. Uh, there's a reason why men like uh, Calvin and, and, and Spurgeon died at 50. It's work, work. <laughs> it, if you do the ministry the way that God calls you to do the ministry, it will kill you. I mean, that's just how it, it's, it, you'll die in the work. And Spurgeon used to say, I'm going to work myself to death and then pray myself alive. So it's just like any other occupation. To the extent that you're serious about it, it's work, work. And so these men have been called by God to work in this particular way. That's the pre- We're just looking at a general overview. Now, because, as I mentioned, these ironical priests, and, and I promise I'm not p- playing fast and loose. If you know your, um, if you know your new, t- well, if you know your Bible, the book of Hebrews explains the Old Testament ceremonial system. The Old Testament ceremonial system is the gospel found in the Old Testament. So you say, well, how did Abraham and Moses and David know Jesus? Because they had the, they had the gospel in the old ceremonial system. The ceremonial system is found in the book of, of, of Leviticus primarily, but we see it here. Priests and sacrifices, tabernacles, temples, feast days, that's all typological of Jesus. I said it every Sunday in the, in the Roman Catholic Church. 
Behold, the Lamb of God, finish the sentence, who takes away the sins of the world. That's John the Baptist in John chapter 1, pointing at his cousin Jesus, saying, there is the Passover Lamb. Well, how did he, how, how did he what, what, what language is he, is he using? He's using Exodus 12. He's using Leviticus 16. So they knew that those types were typological of the promised Christ to come. I promise I'm not making this up. So these men, because they're part of the old system, ultimately they find their zenith in the the true sympathetic high priest. This is a Hebrew chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 4. So these men will ultimately be replaced by the priest that can never die by the priest that offers the perfect sacrifice and makes the perfect intercession, who is our perfect portion, who is our perfect inheritance. All the things that these priests stand for. Does that make sense? So they're called out by God. They're called by God. They're committed. They're commissioned by God to work. And the work that they've been given is a priestly kind of work. And just as a prophet represents um, God to the people, priests represent the people to God. And the prophet in his ministry um, uh, proclaims the word of God for the salvation of God's people. And the priest primarily does two things in his priestly ministry. What is the primary work of a priest? He makes sacrifice and then he makes intercession. And that these men, when you look at it, again, we're just flying over the top of the chapter. When you look at what these men are called to do, they make sacrifice and they make intercession. Or if you want me to perfect it, They stand as a mediator between God and the people. It's that principle of representation. These people are going to stand as representatives for the rest of the people. And so um, that's all being taught by what we find here in chapter chapter, um, 18. Now, when I've mentioned, he said, you, you come near, um, if the people, if any non-ironical priests come near, they shall die. And these priests are to make intercession for the sins of God's people. That's what's going on in the altar. So when the people of God sin, the priests of God offer up the sin as intercessors. They're pleading, I, I, I quoted it this morning, or paraphrases, is it Charles Wesley? Don't let that ransom sinner die. That's a priest. Don't let that ransom sinner die, O God. Hear me, O God, as your appointed priest. And then they make the necessary oblation or sacrifice. They're pleading the salvation of God's people. That's what they do. And they plead um, God's continued provision upon them. So these ironical priests stand as shadowy intercessors, they, they stand as shadowy mediators. And look at verse 1. You and your sons, your father's household. This is an interesting phrase. It's used a number of times in the passage. You shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. You and your sons with you shall bear the, bear the guilt in connection with the priesthood. There are two notions here. The first notion is it is given to the priestly class, and I'm going to use the phrase to police or to guard the sanctuary containing the holy place and the holy of holies. In other words, these men are to keep non-ironical priests away from the holy place, physically. Was it king? Who was the king that came in and started making sacrifice? Was it Uzzah? Not Uzzah. It was someone like that. He came in and started making a sacrifice. He's not allowed to. 
And what happened to his hand? I think it, he became leprous. And the priests physically jumped on the king and they hauled him out. That's what these men are called to do. So these men are tasked by God to keep the non-Aaronical priests away from the holy place. You remember when God came down on Mount, uh, on Mount, is it Mount Sinai um, with the law? The people were told to do what? Stay away from the mountain because if you come near the mountain, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Because it's the holy presence of God cannot come, the unholy, uh, unholy man cannot come into the presence of holy God. You need a mediator. You need a priest. And in that instance, it was Moses. God said, I'm going to talk to you and not to the people. You talk to the people. So one, we see that these people are responsible to keep the other non-Aaronical Israelites away from the holy presence of God. Now, when you look at this, or else, and, the, and the notion is, or else you will die because you stand as a sin-bearing representative. Is this a frightening thing when God says, keep them away or else you'll die? Is that a frightening thing? Yeah, it's a frightening thing. Do, do, do we say the God of the Old Testament was kind of mean and pugnacious and scary, but when you come to the New Testament, oh boy, God is just, he's like my grandfather, just like a love muffin. Does he change from Old Testament to New? I'm being silly. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament is the only God. When God says, unholy man cannot come before me unless he has a priest representative. That's gospel. And without the priest representative, you will die. Why? Because God is holy and you're not. Well, that's frightening. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. And therefore, we flee to Christ, our sympathetic high priest. Unless people believe this about God, that God is infinitely holy, he hates sin, but he's made a way for sinful man to come to him via the priest, you don't really come to Christ. All of the professions that you hear all the time, I've seen this. I didn't come out of the womb into the reformed faith. I've heard lots of people give this kind of profession. Hey, if you are sad or whatever, if you would like to, you want to stick up your hand, you're in. You're in. In what? <laughs> what have you come to? What Christ? There's, there's no holy God. You're not afraid of God for your unholy sin. He's not saving you from wrath. There's no death of Christ. There's no intercessory mediation of Jesus. You're just sad and you, you don't want to be sad. I don't want to be sad either. That is a non-Christian Christian profession because they don't see this. The Bible says that God looks upon those who tremble at his word and that it is right. This is a Hebrew, this is not a new, just an Old Testament principle that we should come near God with fear and trembling and awe. How did Isaiah see God? Isaiah, beloved of God, how did he see God? Isaiah 6, he fell on his face. John on the Isle of Patmos, the beloved disciple who Jesus loved, how did he see the risen Lord Jesus Christ? He fell on his face like a dead man. So this is teaching us the holiness of God and we have to have a priest. Now, if you've been here more than twice, I don't believe in New Testament priests except Jesus and the priesthood of believers. Luther talked a lot about this. We are priests. I don't believe that. I'm not a priest, 
I don't call people priests because Jesus, because I've read the Bible. The book of Hebrews, all of those priests went away and you have priest Christ after the order of Melchizedek. So the other men, whatever they call themselves, they're not priest-priest. If you read the New Testament, there's no priest like a minister. And when you come into a church that espouses priesthood in the church for an office, what's the guy standing behind? An altar. No way. Read Hebrews. Jesus on the cross says, Tetelestai. It is what? It is done. Done, 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 done. So we have a priest. These men pointed forward to Christ. And when Christ comes, there, there is no. Now, I know you may have your, your favorite cousin, Bobby, who's a priest. But he's not. And so these men uh, are, are typological sin bearers. Jesus um, Christ is called our sin bearer as our priest, 1 Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. Another thing that shows us that this is typological, it's meant to go away. It's, it's temporary, like the umbilical cord. God so governed everything that he created this amazing thing, an umbilical cord. It feeds the little baby while the little baby's in the womb of his mother. When the little baby comes out, the unbiblical cord has filled its use, and you don't use it anymore. That's the Old Testament ceremonial system. We're not going back. When I was a dispensational, I thought we were going back in time. And a further study of Hebrews. No more bulls, no more goats, no more stone temple. Christ went from in a state of humiliation to exaltation. He's not coming back. Read the book of Hebrews. And so this, this priesthood went away, and it was always meant to be ultimately fulfilled in, in um, Jesus Christ. And, and it is. And so from that, that's the, they're chosen. They're chosen to work. And then the bulk of the, the passage, I would say from 8 to maybe 24, is what I would say God's promise and directives to materially support his Aaronical priests and his Levitical priests. And to, if I could use a phrase, and I don't mean to be crass, this is their pay. This is their pay. And God says, I've set you aside to work, to be my clergy, to be my priests, my sacrificers, my intercessors, and that kind of a thing. And then he says, and here's what I'm going to pay you. Verses 8 through 24. First for the, for the Aaronical priests, and then for the Levitical priests. And we live in a weird time. And, and the New Testament church is not a one-to-one replacement of the Old Testament the, um, theonomic system. I understand that. But when you talk money, I don't like it. I don't, I've never done like a money sermon or a tithe sermon. When I was in a different kind of a church, they did do tithe sermons. And the minister would come out and he took a $100 bill and he snapped the $100 bill. And I'm going to first to start this thing going and he put it in, and, he, and, then they, and I called it to my wife, get ready for the sheep shakedown. <laughs> and they shake you down for the cash. I was a brand new Christian. I was a baby Christian. I couldn't handle it. I, I told my wife, if this guy preaches on money one more time, I'm out of here. I just couldn't handle it. I just thought, my father was an unbeliever who was alive at the time. I said, my dad would know exactly what this is, because he was a city guy. <laughs> this is a sheep shakedown. But, but, ministers need to eat. And so if the minister was ministering, he needs to eat. How is he going to eat? This is how he's going to eat. 
This whole passage from 8 to 24 is Jehovah Jireh, God provides. This is a 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a Matthew chapter 6. God's going to provide for you. He's going to provide clothes. He's going to provide food for you, for Mrs. Aaron, for Mrs. Levi, for your wife, for your kiddos. I will feed you. And see, you see the logical flow. I've chosen you. I've chosen you to work. And you're going to be devoted in this work. Now, I'm not against New Testament epoch where someone's a tent maker. If you're a tent maker because you have to be a tent maker, praise God that you're a tent maker because you have to be a tent maker. But it's not optimum. Um, if you read First Timothy chapter 4, the notion is devoted, 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 devoted. This is what you do. This is all that you do. You are devoted to this work. And Paul tells Timothy, devote yourself to this. Labor at this with blood, sweat, and tears. That's all you do. You are chained to Christ. You're chained to Christ's church. You're chained to Christ's word. That's what you do. And when someone says, would you like to be a part-time politician, which they always do, particularly if you're a young minister, and my professor said, you resist that like the plague. You don't dissipate your affections for your Christ or your energy for your Christ. This is what you do. You are a public person. If someone else wants to play part-time politician, have at it, not you. Does that make sense? And so these men are dedicated, and God's going to provide for them. And so what he does through this offering system, now not, this is a general, what I'm saying right now is a general truth. There are some offerings where it would be a total oblation. It would be consumed by fire, so no one's eating it. But then God will uh, describe various forms of offerings, animal offerings, grain offerings, wine offerings. It was really wine, wine. I know my friends... On the other, some other camps say it's not wine, wine. It was wine, wine. And the people were allowed to drink wine, wine. Not get drunk, but they could have wine with their meal. <laughs> God is providing for them in this way. We, we live in an economy of a, uh, we, trade our, we trade our labor for money. That's our economy. But ultimately, it's just like this economy. They traded their labor for foodstuffs so they could live. And you understand what I'm saying when I say foodstuffs, whether it's clothes or whatever. It's, it's material. You trade your labor for something material. But even though we're in a, uh, we trade our labor for money, it's the same thing ultimately. When you work, you are trading your labor for, for your boss to give you a paycheck. And what do you do with that paycheck? You trade it to the grocer. What do you trade it to the grocer for? Food to eat. It's the same system, ultimately. And so these men are trading their labor unto the Lord, and God says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you drink. It's for your kids. And this is their, I don't like to use the, the word pay, but it says in the passage a couple of times, a compensation. And there's something else that the passage says, and I know I'm just kind of flying over. It will say your allotment or your portion And the notion is a competent portion. And I I promise I'm not going to... If I were a different kind of Christian, I would preach a whole sermon on this. So the kind of wine that they get to drink is the best. The kind of food that they get is the best. Because you're supposed to offer the best to the Lord, right? Read Malachi. God says to God's people in the book of Malachi, listen, why am I not regarding your sacrifices? Because you're you're sacrificing a one-eyeballed cat in, in, a, in a cow with three legs. <laughs> he said, give it to your earthly uh, uh, governor to see if they like it. 
They're giving God the dregs. They're thinking it's going to be burned up anyways. Who cares if the thing's blind? (laughs) Here, take my blind cow. And God had previously said, I don't want the blind cow. I don't want the, the crippled one. I'm going to burn it. I want the best one. And I want the best fruit. And I want the best wine. I want the best. Because first, the offering goes to the Lord. And so God takes out of that foodstuffs and he gives a portion of it to his priestly class, both the Aaronical priests and the Levite. And it's just a portion. And I'm gonna make a couple of points on that. He's not feeding them on bread and water. And I'm not, this is not availed. This church is all, God has always provided for me. So I'm not, I promise I'm not shilling, buy me the Mercedes. But there are some people that think, well, if you're a minister, you have a, a shirt, that should, and your kids, they don't really need more than a shirt and one pair of undies, and that should be good. And if you want more than that, you're like a little money-grubbing money-grubber. Well, your kids get to go to college. Should the minister's kids, like, I mean, I, do they, this is how he makes his living. And so God's saying, I'm not going to feed you on bread and water. God is not an austere God. What, what, this is First Corinthians, First Timothy chapter 5. An elder that rules well in preaching and labors hard in preaching should be worthy of double what? Double honor. And that means recompense. Again, it's not a sheep shakedown. God is promising the minister, if you labor, I will provide for you and for your family. And again, not milk, not, not bread and water. And in, this is not, and the, the reason I said if I was a different kind of Christian, I would shake this down. I, I could write a whole sermon on, you've got to give the best. The, the minister can't be driving, a, my truck has like 350,000 miles. The minister can't drive a truck with 350,000 miles on it. He needs a new truck. See, look at the, the new wine, the fresh this. That's silly to me. And God actually indicts the priests in Ezekiel 34 that are living, they're fleecing the flock. So you see both ends of the spectrum. He says, you're not going to starve. I'll give you a competent portion, but you're not going to fleece my flock either. He says, you're going to get an allotted portion. And that's, that's important. In our catechism on the Lord's Prayer, we, we called it Our Father. I was raised, we said, say the Our Father. And in Protestants, we, we call it the Lord's. It's, it's properly the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. But I don't want to be persnickety. But when we pray for our daily what? Lord God, Father, daily bread. Give me my daily bread. In our catechism, we, we, we exegete it this way. We are praying for a competent portion of our daily needs. A competent portion of our daily needs. He's not saying he's going to feed us on caviar or anything like that. He's going to give us what we need to stay alive, and not just to stay alive. There's not a person in here that, that, doesn't, that just has one pair of shoes. I guarantee you, there, when we were kids, we only had two, not that we were poor, but back then you just had church shoes, school, which was church and school, and then sneak, sneakers. <laughs> but it's, times have changed. But my point is, God, we are praying to God, give me a daily competent portion. And God's promising his people I I will give you a competent portion. And he's the one that decides the competent portion for his priests, for us as his people. And we are to, um, 
And the notion is, when you say to the man, um, I will take care of you. I'll take care of your wife. I'll take care of your children. Now he's free to work. Now he's free to work. Imagine if I told you on your job, well, hey, you're not getting paid on Friday. How good are you going to work Monday through Thursday or Monday through? You're not. Why? Because you're going to be on the Internet looking for a job. You're not going to be able to devote yourself to your service. God wants his people to know, I, I have purchased you. I'm going to take care of you. And now labor without any fear, without any anxiety, without any worry. Devote yourself. And the other thing that the portion also indicates is, notice the text says, the Levites have no inheritance and the Aaronical priests have no inheritance. Remember, they're, they're teaching us by shadow what we find ultimately in Jesus. He says to the priest, you don't have any portion of this land. I'm your portion. You don't have any inher- land inheritance. I'm your inheritance. This is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our intercessor, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 5. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He is that mediating priest. Jesus Christ is the sin-bearing priest. We sin, he bears our sins, we receive the mercy of God. Jesus Christ is our competent portion in this life, and Jesus Christ is our inheritance. And I want to end with this. Um, There are three places that speak to, that I understand. You may may know know more places, and you feel free to tell me later. I mentioned that I don't believe New Testament priests except Jesus and, and, and the priesthood of believers. All true believers, the Bible refers to us as true believers, as priests, a nation of priests. This is a fulfillment of Exodus chapter 19. And I, I want to read, what should I read? I'm only going to read one. Exodus 19 is one instance you shall be to me a kingdom, my own possession of priests and a holy nation. And then 1 Peter 2, 4, that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're living stones being built up into this living temple. We are a chosen electos. I hate to say, there's the elect word again. Electos, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's the fulfillment And then in the eternal estate, when Christ returns, book of Revelation, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them, us, to be a kingdom and priests to our God and we will reign forever and ever with our Christ. That's what this is teaching us. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.